Welcome to a Boogie Pop podcast, and we'll be going through the seventh novel of this series, The Peppermint Wizard. I love this one, and I hope you did too, so spoilers for this novel. We'll start the podcast with more of a general introduction, and then basically, I'll be exploring the novel moving from character to character. So now for the intro. So off the bat, we start with the peppermint green ice cream. An oddly specific ice cream. Uh, the moment this novel like hooked me in was when Taratsky was mentioned, which was really early. Like I didn't expect him to be in the novel. I had just finished reading like the novel version of his arc, so the fifth novel. So it was like fresh in my mind, but um, it came as like a huge surprise. So I was pretty quickly like invested. So now we're at Norosuke Kagawa's residence, and there's a figure who has like peppermint green skin color, and that's Tosuke Kagawa. Um, Norosuke is like a father figure to him. Um, and something interesting about Tosuke is that he understands the pain people go through, and he gives ice cream based on that. So different flavored ice cream for different pain. It's a pretty fascinating power, not something you'd really see in any other media. He's a failed experiment from the Toa organization, and Norosuke took care of him. Teratsuki offers Tosuke to be part of like this fast food division of his company, because Tosuke is that good at making ice cream. Um, you know, that someone like him is willing to give like a heap of money um, and offer him this kind of position. Um, also, when Tosuke gives ice cream to Tarasuki, like he loves it. Um, we get informed by the narrator that um, Tarasuki gave a report to the Toa organization so that he could use Tosuke's abilities to change human minds based on stimulating their taste buds. And now Tosuke is going out into the real world. Also, Tarasuki knew um, he was going to die and he knew his life was finite. Um, we already knew this, um, but it's cool seeing it like reiterated here. And the story begins in the past prior to the events of Volume 5. Um, so yeah, the first character that we'll be exploring is Tosuke. Um, so yeah, with Tosuke, we know some small tidbits about him early. Um, he doesn't know his past. He really enjoys making ice cream. He values his connections with Norosuke and Taratsuki. And he has great chemistry with Rei and a pretty good dynamic with Sonoko as the, you know, as the novel progresses. Uh, we'll be jumping to the moment where he talks to the photographer um, after his company has kind of blown up. Um, it feels like the best starting point for this. Um, so yeah, he talks to that photographer. Um, and before, he was excited um, about his ice cream and seeing people eat it. Like, he really loved seeing their reactions. But now he says that he has some pain. There's pain that lingers in everyone, and he gives ice cream according to that. He now feels like everyone is stabbing his heart. He feels like he's not making any progress. It's because he can see the facade. No matter, no matter how much Sanoko is like cheery and looks happy, the deep underlying pain within her doesn't seem to go away. He thinks to himself, maybe the more sensitive I become to pain, the more they start to think that it doesn't really matter to them. So the ice cream has an ability to mask pain to others, and by masking it also to the user as well. So you don't know you're in pain, and you're not going to show it as well, so other people won't know either. So essentially, Sonoko is walking around not in touch with her pain. Now moving forward a bit, um, after losing Rei, Tosuke feels like he's just alone and adrift. He's lost Teratsuki as well, um, like all he had was his ice cream and that's not really working out for him either. Now moving on to the thank you event, it felt very intense for him. Too many people were around him, so he could feel so much pain. And he would also, um, like back in the day, like or still even then, 
um, he would go to customers one-on-one to feel their pain so that he could like deliver the ideal flavor of ice cream. Like that was how he did his customer service. Um, but yeah, moving forward, Tosuke does try to block an attack that's supposed to um, basically kill Sonoko on stage. And then his green blood is shown to everyone. People scream, um, but basically he disappears without a trace. This the, the ice cream company, it dissolves and then Tosuke is missing. Now jumping ahead, we found we find Tosuke out in the mountains. Tosuke's been away for like four months now. And he was also like pretty surprised by his own healing factor. He healed really quickly from getting basically all of his blood just gushed out of him from the attack. And he knows well, he knows he has a healing factor because he knows that Norisuke doesn't have that kind of ability. And this was a bitter pill for him to swallow because um, it was just like another indication that he was different from him. Just another way to alienate or separate himself from the world and other people. Another thing that pains him is Rei. She had told him that he was bad in some way or bad for her basically in some way. And it's a question he's been pondering like what makes something bad like like what I do you know like he's very much kind of thinking through that but before he can actually arrive to an answer or get an get anywhere with that question he meets a painter in the mountains the painter comes along and paints and Tosuke would watch him from afar Tosuke thought it was amazing um that he could concentrate so much being how immersed he was in his paintings um I find it interesting that he actually sees it that way Tosuke most likely um, is very immersed when he's making ice cream as well. So he probably just doesn't see the value in his process of making ice cream or the ice cream itself because now he's hurt people in some way or it's resulted in like Ray leaving him, stuff like that. So he probably just doesn't see the value of it. Um, So it's interesting that he's looking at this painter being so immersed when most likely Tosuke would be acting pretty similar right he'd be that immersed and everyone around him thought that as well now he doesn't talk to the painter because he's sworn people off he doesn't want to hurt people bad things happen to those around me that's what he's telling himself so he's locked his heart away from interactions i believe this has to do with the idea of um like not moving towards one's pain which seems to be a theme in this novel um if tosuke in this moment had moved towards his own pain intentionally then that would be like a step forward now, on the fourth day, the painter doesn't show up, and this makes Tosuke uncomfortable. Uh, it doesn't matter what Tosuke thinks, um, he's going to become attached to people, right? Like, that person's gone, and then he feels uncomfortable. He's human in that way. He's clearly, he's clearly like, deep down, yearning for connection. Um, Tosuke looks around at the scenery, at what the painter was painting, um, but it doesn't spark much emotion in him. I thought this line was really great as well. Um, emotions is a theme in this novel. Um, And for some people, certain things can spark emotions, but for others, it doesn't. For example, you could be walking around and you see a cat. And if your heart is touched by that cat, then you feel something. Uh, Maybe even become like some sort of cat owner or something. But if you don't, then that cat doesn't have like a particular emotional significance to you, right? Like you wouldn't paint it or anything like that. So different people have different reactions to different things. Um, Now, this painter actually shows up, and um, they end up interacting, and turns out it's Askai Jin. Now, this blew my mind. I did not expect to see this guy again. I mean, it does make sense. Like, Boogie Pop does have, like, a pretty big universe with recurring characters. 
But I thought that was a pretty good reveal. Like, I was immediately hooked by it. And I love seeing characters again like this, especially in such unexpected ways. Like, they're all the way out in a mountain. Um, and knowing that um, we're going to get more of this guy meant that we could probably see how he changed over the course of the story, which is exactly what kind of happens. Um, now, Jin says that people don't really know, like, where we all come from. Not really, like, deep down. Um, Tosuke says that people don't because they neglect their pain. There's something about there's something about um, wanting to find an origin point of identity and feeling your pain and emotions being the thing that allows for that to happen. That feels like the point, um, kind of like of this uh, of these themes. Um, but we'll touch on this again. We find out through Jin's powers that Tosuke believes that life provides no nourishment. I think this means that there aren't good things out there. I do wonder if this is because of Norisuke's influence. Um, the world is full of lies and things like that. That's something that he said. Um, also, that nothing good is hap- also like nothing good is actually happening to him. So it does feel like the world is against him. Also, the big hole in him, which is Ray. Um, Jin believes that compared to his plan of merging people to create like a homogenous state of like kind of like this fake fulfillment, um, like Tosuke's method seems better. Um, in terms of like trying to make people happy. Um, Tosuke doesn't believe it and feels like his ice cream was perhaps just a product that people were scarfing down. Nothing more. Uh, this does anger Jin a little bit. Um, he feels like he's diminishing the people who truly loved it. Like, could you actually say that to Norsuke? Uh, but it's not just that. Um, he's, in effect, diminishing something real and significant about himself. Like, his ice cream is a gift. Um, no one else has the powers he has. It just depends on how it's used, and he can't really see it as something special. Um, and this goes back to him um, looking at Jin's paintings and being at all. Like, anyone would look at Tosuke's um, ice cream making and be in infatuation and be at all. Um, I mean, all of the like company's employees thought he was um, basically a madman, that he worked his ass off, and that only he could do something like that. He just can't see any all within himself. It's kind of tragic. Um, and he can't specify what's great about him. Now, Tosuke looks at one of Jin's paintings, and it sparks something in him. The first one didn't, but the second one did. He says Jin drew her from memory, and um, that he really wanted to help this person soothe their pain, and he can see that. He also says that Jin likes this girl, and that it's a clear, concrete memory, that it's something eternal. Um, there's something about concrete memories that's also a theme in this novel. Um... And um, I think we get an idea of how or where it kind of comes from. But yeah, we also get a flashback to Norsuke where essentially it's he states that um, like the world will push and pull you. But in it, you might be able to find something kind of precious or something valuable. For Norsuke, it was Tosuke. Like what? And but the question is, what will it be for Tosuke? Can he find something concrete for himself? Once again, the theme of finding something concrete comes up. Now, after talking with Jin, Tosuke, uh, Tosuke's been uh, like trying to feel his feelings. Not as something vague, but as something concrete, like some sort of concrete emotion. Uh, he wanted to capture it as a flower, like a flower image like Jin does with his abilities, but Tosuke had to figure out something that worked for him, like his own method. Um, the question is, how does he make things concrete in his life? He chooses to identify pain directly as a flavor of ice cream. So this is his means. 
And what he did with that is so he could actually have better interactions with people who he had formerly had maybe awkward interactions. Or not interactions that he never really um, wasn't like exactly what he wanted. Um, and I feel like he's talking about his friends, like the people that he cared about. Um, he'd been trying to smooth them out with ice cream. But it also dawns on him that compared to Jin, he didn't really have to put in much effort to do this. He just felt gratification when certain people liked his ice cream. Like Taratsuki, like Sonoko, like Norisuke. But he never understood who he truly was. Like he was always thinking about other people's pain. He was always thinking about other people. But now he's trying to think about himself. Trying to feel his own emotions. His own pain. Something he's never done before. Almost like he's trying to figure out what his specific flavour of ice cream is. What sort of ice cream would he specifically enjoy? But it's hard for him to throw off what's been habitual, always thinking about others. It's hard for him to just kind of go against what he's always been doing. Even the peppermint flavour, his kind of distinct, um, yeah, like creation, was for some someone else. He doesn't know who, but he knows it's not for him. And now he's he's slowly getting in touch with um, how other referencing he was. That maybe he was seeking out the flavour of ice cream for people so that the world would acknowledge him and accept him for who he was in some way. But what he's really doing is he was moulding himself for others and using ice cream to do it. In effect, he was trying to take over the world with ice cream. Not in a forceful way though. What he's actually doing is just not focusing on himself and he's affecting... He's, effectively allowing the world to dictate too much in his life which and the result of that is making ice cream for people and not for himself which in effect makes him make so much ice cream for others that he ends up basically permeating all throughout the world right and that's how his company became famous and you know and this is how it kind of relates to um Jin's uh Jin's goal right he wanted to kind of um you know affect everyone uh, by kind of making them all like streamlined, I guess, in the heart. Tosuke never really had that desire. It was just kind of more of like an after effect of um, giving ice cream to people. But yeah, this entire conversation is about Tosuke's relationship with the other versus his relationship with himself. And it's a great conversation which gets at the heart of how he never really focuses on him. Um, like despite how pushy he can be about ice cream, it's still about others. Alright, so now let's move on to the question that Tosuke was pondering, like, prior to meeting Jin. Like, what makes something bad? Um, now, Tosuke asks the question, um, if you believe, or he says this statement, like, if you believe what you're doing is right, and I guess in this effect, um, like, if you have good intentions, is what you do bad? Uh, Jin now outlines Tosuke's point of view, um, that he's saying that if you have good intentions, um... You know, nothing you do is bad, basically. Um, if Like, nothing bad exists in this world. And you're saying, all is good because you have good intentions. Everyone lives believing what they're doing is right. So I guess we're all good then. Which doesn't check out. And we get to hear from Jin about how he's, he regrets, like, his actions that he's taken. What defined his actions as bad was that he hurt someone in the process. And that lack of consideration towards... Like, I don't even know if it's, like, lack of consideration towards others. It's just lack of consideration in general is a crime. And um, Tosuke says that he just wanted, like, his intention was that he just wanted everyone to eat tasty ice cream. Is that bad? But then he starts thinking back to Ray's words, um, and they come back to him. You don't know yourself. 
And when I'm with you, all that ends up happening is I start to forget the pain. Once he starts thinking about this, the stuff starts clicking into place for Tosuke. Everyone harbors pain of their own, and by giving ice cream, he had erased that pain. Now is that a bad thing? Giving a reprieve to one's own pain? He uses Norisuke as an example. He had a grand lie that troubled him greatly, but he never confronted it. Why? Well, it's because he's been eating his ice cream every day. Once again, it's a reprieve from one's own pain. But it's also a reprieve from one's own life force, really. When Sonoko had started eating his ice cream, she'd stopped being hurt by others, right? But it's not like they were actually hurting her. It's more like, you know, nothing they said really hit her. She couldn't remember anything about it. Like, her ice cream, um, like, wasn't... Like, it wasn't stopping Sonoko and the people from being hurt. They just became unable to get in touch with the fact that they were. Like, if you take away someone's pain... That means you can't receive pain from others, which means you can't actually connect from with others, and you can't also connect with yourself. So Tosuke starts seeing how he's been stealing something which is kind of precious and necessary from people, or, or creating a situation where they can't actually get in touch with that, that his actions were negative. And he gets that now. Now, moving on, Tosuke grabs like a mouthful of Ray's sponge cake and immediately strikes anger in him. He says that this can't be the flavor that Ray's looking for. It can't be what she's seeking. This is my flavor. He's incredibly frustrated, and it's honestly the most frustrated we've ever seen him. He feels very, like, feels like a very specific emotion. And he leaves the mountain. Now, we cut to Semigasawa, and he thinks that what Ray's doing is a waste as well. So, they're on the same page. Um, and then he realizes that Tosuke is back, and he freaks out. He'd, um, he'd basically come onto the complex and he'd broken the chains of the gates. So now we get to see just how powerful um, Tosuke is. Like all this time we just see him working on um, like his ice cream, but we never really see him like punch someone. We've seen his blood splatter everywhere, but yeah, he can he can destroy like a chains, like really hard chains. So yeah, he's very powerful. And yeah, he finds a hidden door and then he finds Semigasawa there. And he says to him that he wanted to freeze it. Essentially, like, he wants to reduce the effect of his ice cream. That negative effect that he no longer wants to, you know, permeate through other people. He wanted to freeze the dissociating from pain that his ice cream causes. He wants people to get in touch with their pain. Now, during this, we also find out that Semigasawa is actually Squeeze. So, man, like, so many people around him were agents. So, the world really is full of lies. And Tosuke knows this too. Uh, the big lie. Um, now, I do wonder if the big lie that Norisuke was hiding is his double life as part of Toa. But I actually, I don't think that's it. I think he never thought he would get attached to Tosuke. And that broke through everything. And the ice cream from Tosuke literally like kind of soothed the guilt from his actions or his feelings of responsibility or all of that. We get a cool line from Tosuke saying to call him a wizard, a peppermint wizard. Now we find out that Rei is manipulated and she started to think that Tosuke's flavor is her own, but the real tragedy is that she's lost sight of what her own flavor is, the things, the thing that she's been seeking. And Squeeze says that she was the only one who understood his flavor, 
Um, and I love Tosuke's response here. He says that Ray would never actually make the second rate garbage like that. Like he wouldn't make the shit that 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 sponge cake that basically he ate. Like she would not make that. Um, and he wouldn't either. That ice that it basically lacked a soul. Like they're both above that. It's a cheap imitation with nothing of value really. Um, with neither a lick of Ray or Tosuke to be found in it. If actual Ray was allowed to try and copy Tosuke, she would do a much better job. But even then, that wouldn't be like what Tosuke would want for her. But she would do way better than that imitation. So yeah, that, I thought that was a really good response. Now Squeeze attacks him head on, and blood spills everywhere. But then Squeeze loses sight of him. Now this is really interesting. Squeeze cannot see him. He did get hit, but he took on all of the pain in Squeeze's heart. And so his grand ability is to become that pain. Squeeze should be able to sense like something faint, but that's about it. But Squeeze like has been living like Squeeze has been living a life, averting his eyes from his own pain, as many do, um, as we all do in many cases. Um, so there's a compulsion to turn away, and he could literally kill Squeeze if he wanted to. Like his power is that great. Um, so to completely erase like one's presence once you've taken on the pain of the observer. Um, that's that's kind of the power, but it's not just that though. Even after Tosuke leaves, so even after he's not even around him, Squeeze stays silent and absent-mindedly. So by taking in his pain completely, he took away his sense of self completely as well. Uh, like he no longer wanted to kind of move or do anything. Like um, it's almost like the pain is the thing that motivates action. Like Norisuke never looked at his lies and faced them. He never took any action. Same with Sonoko. She never got in touch um, with those who, you know, she either annoyed her or anything like that. It kind of feels like a lack of pain means a lack of self and a lack of action. Now, when Ray and Tosuke meet each other, he's in his clown getup. And it's a really great image. Um, and this is just a really great scene. Um, she felt like she has vague emotions. She can't recall anything. I mean, she's been manipulated and her sense of self has basically been evaporated. Like, she's been making cheap imitations of Tosuke's product. You know, this is, this is not Ray. Like, this is not the Ray that we know. Um, and she wants to make her emotions concrete. Just like how Tosuke wanted to make his emotions concrete. It's almost like the thing that we're all seeking is how to make that happen for ourselves. And I think what the author is saying is that we can actually do that through memory. Um, he gives a vanilla ice cream, which is a pretty plain ice cream, nothing special about it, and says that plain things reveal plain truths. So he's going straight to the basics. And this makes her remember, um, remember her past, um, which we'll kind of get into. But now she can't see him. She can't see him after that. Like, even when he speaks, she can't see him. Um, uh, but what he's done is given her pain or emotions it's not like he's taking it away um so this is the part that kind of confused me a bit so wasn't Tosuke's power to take in people's pain and because of that they lose sight of him because they don't want to look at that what made Rei not be able to see Tosuke like why she couldn't actually see him because I feel like what he did was actually make her get in touch with her emotions and her memories and her pain um but yeah, so this this part kind of confused me. I'm hoping you guys can like provide me some clarity here. 
But yeah, Boogie Pop appears and maybe he'll provide some clarity. <laughs> we'll have to see. Um, but to make one's pain, this is what he's saying, to make one pain your own and to possess a method in which to erase it is a fearsome power. So he's talking about um, Tosuke's power. Like truly horrific because people carry pain and it's because of that that they can move forward. So he's kind of reiterating that idea um, that we mentioned before. That's why Sonika never detached from the horrible people around her and just kept smiling. And more specifically, why Norsuke never advanced in confronting himself with the awful lie, never moving forward towards that, just running away from pain. They tried to still shield their hearts and they stopped reaching out to people. Um, that's what Tosuke did. Um, and he, you know, he felt awful, so he went into the mountains, right? Like the mountains are peaceful, yes. Like the mountains themselves are very peaceful, and they represent, though, a false peace, like a false serenity. Um, so Tosuke has the power to kind of create like that mountain-like um, false peace feeling. Um, and Boogie Pop feels like this might be the greatest threat yet. Like it's that potent, that powerful. But the flip of it is that Tosuke deep down wishes for others to understand their own pain. That's why he was desperately making ice cream. Um, so that's what Tosuke was seeking. Um, and I think what Boogie Pop was, is really trying to say is that he was making ice cream ultimately to remember himself, I think, in some way. That through his actions of making ice cream, he was really yearning for a way to find himself. But he kept focusing on others, and because of that, he never found it. He never really tried to make ice cream for him. He never really tried to find his own origin point. Thing is, Tosuke doesn't remember how he was born or anything like that. We see that um, we see that as something special at first, but slowly as the story goes on, we see that this is ultimately something we all struggle with and we all relate to. Um, and I think when um, it says that he cried for the first time in his life, I don't think it's just the pain of not having Ray see him or have her in his life. I don't think that's the pain he's been avoiding this whole time. I think the pain he's been avoiding this whole time is the fact that he was born into the world. Now, I don't know how literal um, I'm supposed to take uh, the idea that this was the first time he ever cried. Um, but generally, the first time we cry is when we come out of the womb. Uh, like, it's the first tears that we have. Um, you can argue that, that that initial cry is us mourning that essentially that we are, we're born. Um, and I feel like Tosuke's crime for the first time is him getting in touch with that, his, his origin point, um, the thing that he's been seeking all this time. And emotions allows for those things to become concrete. So through crying, he's making his existence concrete as well, right down to its essence, to its origin. And that's what I have for Tosuke. Um, now let's move on to Kigawa Norisuke. So we find out with him that he sometimes feels like he's an awful person. Part of it was that all of the employees that worked beneath him didn't even know what job they were doing. But it seems like that's just one of the lies. That uh, He's been constantly telling lies to everyone for the sake of one kind of truthful lie. Um, Norsuke says that he's painfully aware of the fact that the world is a place made up of envy and hatred. And that he wants a world where people could live... Um, with only like the delicious things, only the wonderful things. He doesn't want Tosuke to go outside because it's ugly out there, but he has talents when it comes to ice cream. 
He can't just have it to have it all to himself to experience. Though he doesn't want to ruin the beauty that is Tosuke by having the world contaminate him. He even thinks that maybe Tosuke could turn all the ugly things into something beautiful or something wonderful. It reminds me of the turning things into gold idea from the fifth novel. Um, now we get further into Narsuke's perspective on the world. So it's ugly and it will destroy everything and it's made up of lies as well. Uh, those lies will try to control you and use you and you won't be able to do anything about that. So it seems that a specific facet of the world is going to contaminate you um, with the lies that's presented within them. When Norisuke, um found um, Tosuke, he says he found what it meant to be happy. But it almost sounds like he found a way to find his own personal like authenticity in a world where lies push and pull you. Like something beautiful in the tug of war of lies. But he knows how hard it was to find this thing. So he asks Tosuke, will you be able to find that thing for yourself? Which I think Tosuke does eventually find within himself, um, within his emotions, and how he tries to make others understand their pain and not forget it. Now let's move on to Askajin. Um, now when it comes to Jin's character, the last time we saw him, he was basically an antagonist who didn't see the flaws in his worldview. One line that immediately stood out was that he said he failed to jump from the top of the tower. Now, I'm not sure what this means, as in he was literally at the top of a tower and he did fall, but Boogie Pop caught him. Does he mean it literally or does he mean it more like metaphorically? Like he was kind of like, he had this grand plan and he was on top of the tower overseeing everything, but he came tumbling down. Um, we also find um, find out from Tosuke that... Um, that Jin's pain is vague, just like Ray's. It feels like he's also searching for something, just like Ray's. And it's implied that we're all searching for something. And that's a theme in this novel. Jin says one thing that he learned is that you can't get rid of flaws by sticking two people together. Like how he tried to standardize the universe using Orihara. He tried to like merge her with the rest of the world. But it's not going to solve anything. And he learned that the hard way. Now Tosuke looks at one of his paintings and it sparks something in him. The first one didn't, but the second one did. And he says that Jin drew her from his memory and that he really wanted to help this person and to kind of soothe their pain. And he can see that. He also says that Jin likes this girl and it's a clear, concrete memory, like something eternal. And also having himself analyze so quickly, he was kind of taken aback because this was done by Swimmer as well. And I like how like, their little interaction like between Jin and Swemmer has left such a lasting impression on Jin, even though it wasn't actually that long. But yeah, jumping ahead, um, Jin is talking to a shopkeeper near the base of the mountain, and he's given her a picture that she sold. Um, they talk about artists in general, that all artists want to know to what extent their art is to be acknowledged from like a social perspective, so from everyone. That art without connection to the other, so without connection to people, that it's meaningless, and that meaning comes from someone having interest in them. And money happens to be the most convenient medium for that, uh, that we know just how much we sell, and from that we can kind of see just how much of an impact or connectivity we have with other people. Um, I think this is actually true. Um, for example, knowing you sell a lot uh, doesn't just validate that you have enough funds to live off or that you're getting money, but that it's making some sort of impact in people's lives some sort of impact. 
Um, it does provide social validation for your creation. Um, but in my opinion, it's not a direct way of experiencing social acknowledgement. The money is still a representation of social connectivity, um, but there are more direct mediums to be socially fulfilled, like giving an art piece to someone and seeing their reaction up close, or reading comments from people online, things like that. They have more specificity, more texture, um, more layers. Like you can kind of actually see what the other person actually thinks rather than they bought it. Um, they bought it doesn't necessarily mean they like it. It just means that they bought it. So it's a good indication of mass appeal, um, but the social nuances aren't captured by it. Um, so money is more of an important perspective of general impact in terms of breadth, um, like how far-reaching it is, but it has nothing to do with like the specificity of the impact. So you can use that information to kind of try figure it out, um, but it's not immediately obvious. One thing that Jin says that's interesting is that he hasn't yet grasped his own art yet, and that it would be problematic if he were to just rush ahead and be evaluated immediately, like socially evaluated by people. Part of me feels like he's almost scared of getting his art evaluated, but the thing is, like, your art doesn't just get evaluated just once. It happens over and over again. Like, your first piece isn't your best piece, and you'll make more pieces, and people's opinions will kind of shift or... You know, like, or maybe you'll get popular from your fifth piece. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't just happen like that. Um, but at the same time, I get what he's saying. Like, I like to draw as well. And if I really made a piece and I really deep down wanted it to be socially evaluated or recognized, I would be pretty terrified. It also feels like Jun is trying to find something concrete about himself before he gets started. Like, if I can hold on to something specific, like if I can make my art specific... Maybe maybe that's a good starting point to kind of push forward. Now we also find out that Kiribanagi um helped Jin by getting him off uh by getting him like a road bike basically, which is kinda of dope. Um so that was just kind of a nice tidbit to learn. Um and yeah, uh, as mentioned before, he gets that sponge cake for Ray, um from from Murray, sorry, um, and then brings it to Tosuke. Um later we also get how um Jin realized what he was doing was bad. Um, he hurt someone, and that girl made him reflect on things, and he doesn't believe that just because your intentions are good that you can't do bad things. Um, we've already been through this before. Um, and yeah, uh, after Tosuke leaves, after eating like a mouthful of Ray's sponge cake, um, Asuka also, like, he ponders leaving the mountain as well. Um, it's like he kind of needed that second wind from Tosuke to get moving. Like, he needed to see this guy who was also in the mountains, essentially come back from there and um, kind of push forward. Um, this might be the second wind he needs to get his art acknowledged too. You know, or like what is the concrete emotion that will ignite him to move forward, right? Concrete emotions and getting in touch with the pain is the thing that actually results in action. So what is the pain he needs to confront to move out of the mountains? Now let's very quickly look at Taratsky and Tosuke's relationship. Um, Tosuke really wants Taratsuki to taste the ice cream that he makes. That's what he really, really wants. Um, and now Taratsuki is clearly favoring his ice cream division. Um, so he needs to separate it out from the rest of the company because it's too hard to keep up appearances. And yeah, he clearly has a lot of faith in Tosuke because, um, yeah, he basically thinks his ice cream abilities are so good that, you know, he should just kind of do his own thing with complete faith. 
Um, and yeah, he, but like what Tosca wants deep down is to have him around and to essentially kind of keep that connection going. Uh, but very quickly into this narrative, Taraski dies and he never got to taste the special ice cream he wanted him to taste. Um, this feels like the second tragic kind of emotional point for Tosuke. Like first it's Narusuke, um, and now it's Taratsuki. And we find out later that Taratsuki became like a laughing stock due to the events from the fifth novel and that tower. Uh, but yeah, that's basically all we have uh, with these guys. Okay, now to Sonoko. Uh, so our introduction to Sonoko is one where uh, she's there to like shoot a video or something, some sort of ad, I think. And basically she ends up talking to Tosuke, who's in a clown suit. Uh, she's first taken aback um, that the boss of the company um, she's uh, that, that she's kind of collaborating with didn't actually make that known. He just kind of talked to her and she was taken by surprise. Uh, she's She had been very honest with him, saying that she was not fond of ice cream. But he does give her ice cream, um, and it's the one that he's she was he was supposed to give to Taratsuki, um, and she loves it, and she experiences delight. And one thing that felt really poignant uh, was the words she used to describe that experience. She felt like she was eating the world, and the world was eating her, and the two of them kind of melted away together. Um, after this, she becomes like this super chill person. More and more uh, customers come along and she gets really popular. She gets hired to go on a TV show and they ask her what's her secret? How can she be so chill? Does she not worry at all? She says that there's no secret and, and that it's just the ice cream she really loves. Well, she mentions it, but she doesn't really act like it's a solution. It's just that, you know, this this is the thing that's helping me, um, which, is, which is true. Um... But Sonoka proceeds to act more dopey, actually. Um, people have been noticing that she's carefree to the point that it's almost silly. And effectively, Tosuke's ice cream was making her forget things and was also making her forget her own personhood. Um, like, there are people who are in front of her at a restaurant and she literally cannot remember who they are, what their names are, and how she um, actually had a bad experience with them. She's just very pleasant to be around, but she doesn't feel like a person. Uh, she, like her own, her existence feels like a disassociated experience. Interestingly enough, though, when she got home, she felt like everything in the world was utterly and absolutely detestable. It's almost like all the bad feelings and her own opinions and thoughts and her being a person. She was like she was. Uh, it was hitting her. It was hitting her all at once, and it was very uncomfortable to her. You know, like all those times where she didn't, I don't know, like she, like she, like there were moments of discomfort, but she didn't feel the discomfort. It was all kind of hitting her at that moment. But she needed to get rid of it because it was so uncomfortable. So she begins to eat more ice cream. Um, you know, that anger that she felt, it just kind of melts away. Um, kind of how she said before that when she had that ice cream, she felt like she'd be, she became one kind of with the world and she just kind of melts away. I mean, becoming one with the world is essentially not seeing yourself as like something specific, as something that actually has emotions, that's a person. But she kind of disperses just into like the world and then just becomes like this chill person. So it feels like being one with the world is the same as not having not being a person essentially and it's not just her anger that was siphoned out but the memories and information associated with that anger too and after a bit Sonoka becomes unable to eat anything 
Like, Spooky says that she'll probably be dead in a month due to malnutrition, which was kind of alarming when I heard it. Um, one thing to note about her is that her not wanting to let people down was something that she always had as a personality trait. Um, so that was something she always had. It wasn't something that the ice cream kind of manifested. Um, anyway, so like Sonica is now on the stage at the thank you event and then Squeeze shows up and then he tries to send a projectile to kill her. Tosuke jumps in the way and he splatters. Green blood goes everywhere. Now after this, the next time we see Sonoko is with Miyashita and Haruto. Um, and it's at that like suicide place and she's embracing Kazuo, her boyfriend. We found out why Sonoko disappeared. Um, it has less to do with Tosuke actually, but more to do with the fact that she was pregnant. And the father is her boyfriend who's right next to her. Um, and she feels like giving up on the celebrity life. Um, when Sonika's relationship with Tosuke is kind of put into question, she says that she never had anything deep with him at all. And she makes it sound like she was just doing her job and there was nothing special. But Kazuo, uh, her boyfriend, says this isn't the case at all. In fact, she would go she would go on and on about it and about the ice cream and about Tosuke to the point where he became jealous. But Sonika just acts like nothing happens. And this does kind of make sense. Um, like the ice cream makes her forget so much, so much about her own experience, so much about her not even being there, um, like in these interactions. Like, yeah, she was like chilled out and she was doing all these things, but she herself wasn't there. She was forgetting parts of herself in the moment, the more she had that ice cream. Now, at this moment, uh, Boogie Pop shows up and I love the way the author implies that Boogie Pop is here and Torque isn't. Um, her voice is masculine now, and that's like the differentiator. And yeah, Boogie Pop states that all the events surrounding Tosuke has been emptied from her mind, and also that because no particular change was observed, she stopped being a target. Um, I'm guessing by the Toa organization, um, you know, because like how, how did she overcome her disgust for all foods but ice cream? Like it was stated that she would die from malnutrition or something like that in a month. Maybe it wasn't the ice cream that made her forget everything, like everything, everything. But maybe the Toa organization also had a hand in emptying her mind so she could actually like forget about the ice cream itself as well, right? Like it's not like, um, like the ice cream makes you forget um, certain things, but it doesn't make you forget about the ice cream. Um, to forget about the ice cream, she might have had her uh, memories erased by the organization. Um, that could be why she wasn't affected by the malnutrition and didn't die in a month. Um, I'm not fully sure, so I'm hoping someone can kind of clarify this for me. But I feel like that does kind of make sense. So now let's look at Tosuke and Kusanagi Rei's dynamic, um, and Kusanagi Rei as a person. Um, so Tosuke meets a girl. She's a taste tester, and she tastes the ice cream Tosuke has made, and she thinks it's shit. But she also thinks that there's something about it. She gets intrigued by it. And there's a really kind of cool dynamic between the two off the bat. She's very straightforward in her speech. Um, it's mentioned a bunch of time that she's also... I mean, it's mentioned a bunch of time that she likes... Like she talks just kind of at you. And she's very assertive. Um, Tosuke is more of like the quirky one while she's like the straightforward one. Like they're different enough to kind of have a good dynamic. Uh, she only responds to questions she believes to be valid. Like that... That kind of feels like um, how she talks. And you can tell she has some pretty specific preferences. Like for the ice cream company going forward, she wants the shop to have a picture of a crucifix 
something that symbolizes death, which is pretty wild. Also, Tosuke is pretty honest and vulnerable as well, which is hard for Rei to deal with. Um, like, it's hard for her to keep the tough girl persona up. Like, she tends to not leak much out or show signs of weakness. Um, but when you see someone kind of just doing it willy-nilly, um, it, it can get to you. Um, like, even when hearing drastic news, she makes sure to showcase that she's not showing... Uh, that she's not impressed by it. Um, now, we find out later that Ray knew that Tursuke's body was green. She knew that all this time. She knows that um, she he doesn't know where he comes from. Ray thinks that he's a fool, but she also thinks that she is as well. And she wants to say goodbye to Tursuke. And the reason for that is because being around him and eating his ice cream makes her forget things like her dead parents and emotions in regards to in regards to sweets and stuff, um, this 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 is like the most vivid memory of her life. And after she leaves him, it's a pretty sad scene, like very sad. Um, like Tosuke is hit hard and he becomes isolated. Uh, but after this isolation, they only meet up again at the end of the novel. But yeah, uh, Tosuke and Rafe they finally meet and he's in his clown getup. Um, and it's a really awesome image. I really love that image. And after some hesitation... She tastes the ice cream that he's offering. Uh, she was surprised at the $100,000 ice cream. Um, and she found herself closer to Tosuke. Um, she starts to blush. Um, she felt like something like this happened before, right? Because her memories were kind of... Um, she was losing her memories, essentially. She had forgotten her past. She had forgotten many things. Like, um, she, she really didn't have a sense of self. Um, she, but she felt like something like this had happened before, and because because it has, uh, but it felt vague, and she couldn't find something concrete. And interestingly enough, that's what Tosuke had been doing in the timeline of these events as well. It was trying to make his emotions concrete as well. Um, and it happened to him, I think, when he saw the, the second-rate garbage that Ray was making. Like, he flew into anger. Um, he felt concrete emotions. Um, but... Ray was just like him back then, trying to recall, but she felt like she was just trying to grasp air, like she couldn't do it. And I think that's why Tosuke provides a special product. It's a special thing to make Ray feel again. It's specially made for her. Like we do get other like kind of cute moments where um, he's handing the product to her and their hands brush against each other and he jumps a bit. And yeah, it's, it's a very plain ice cream that he gives. It's vanilla, not something crazy. But he says that plain things reveal plain truths. So he's going back to the basics. And we get a general idea for sweets um, kind of throughout this. Like, why do people start making sweets or continue to make them? They do it to try to forget the pain that lies in the depths of their heart. Even a little. A sort of necessary escapism. Like numbing through food. But that's not what happens here. The second she bit in, tears rolled down her cheeks. She felt a concrete emotion, and through that, she remembered everything. The parents, who she lost, the flavour of the cake that they made. It was those, like, there's a, there's a scene where, um, like, she kind of makes some, some cake, and it looks kind of weird, and her parents are, like, uh, kind of laughing and stuff like that, and that, that, that's a very concrete memory in her mind. And it was those feelings that had gotten her to start making confectionery to begin with. What she started in the first place, it wasn't to enhance her career or to lord over students. Um, she did all of these because of her memories and her emotions. 
So she was reclaiming both her joy and sadness through that bite. And he says that she's um, she's the only one who's made him struggle that hard to find a flavour. And that she's the only one who ever will. Remember, her pain was vague. And finally, it's congealed into something concrete. A clear memory. And he's done it. Um, I also think that... Um, that the reason why she got angry to her students, to Orihara and stuff like that, is because she felt hollow inside, and she couldn't figure out why she was doing the things that she was doing, resulting in rage. But now she knows again. <clears throat> and it's not just that. She was doing things that she didn't actually want to do deep down, but she couldn't She couldn't change herself. Now, after um, Tosuke gives the ice cream, um, she can't see him anymore. Even when he speaks, um, he's, he, he's given her pain, and emotions. So now on to Takeda and Miyashita. Um, so we see them, and I'm really glad that we get to see them. Um, I feel like they appear in the story at a really like opportune time. Um, it's another way I was kind of like sucked into the story um, because I like these characters quite a bit. I like them as a couple, um, especially Takeda. Um, but yeah, you get the impression that their relationship is slightly strained. Strained, sorry. Um, and yeah, Miyashita's like annoyed with something having to do with Takeda not going to, not wanting to go to college. Um, but either way, they both end up eating the ice cream and thinking it's dope. The next time we see uh, Miyashita, um, she's with Suema, and she notices that the ice cream feels different. And Boogie Pop is alarmed by this, and Suema is thinking, like, what's going on? Um, we see Miyashita again, and she's with a journalist named Nonamura Haruto. Um, she was spaced out, and she was thinking about something, and it's implied to do with um, Takeda. Um, Miyashita didn't like the um, the crucifix-ish design of the ice cream shop, but um, Takeda found it to be aesthetically pleasing. She does eat some ice cream as well. Anyhow, um, Haruto, Haruto sorry, and Miyashita, or Nonomura and Miyashita, um, end up going to Tosuke's house, and they end up seeing Sonoko. Uh, she had vanished after the incident, and she ended up going to obstetrics clinic. Um, this is where babies are born and other stuff like that. Um, now, this kind of threw me off. Uh, like, I mean, she is pretty young, uh, just 19 years of age. Um, but that line where it says that it talks about a child being a green alien was something that made me lift my eyebrow. Um, I didn't believe it immediately. Like, it just didn't sound right. But the prospect definitely hooked me in. Um... Now, the conversations between Nonamura and Miyashita is pretty good. Um, it's almost like an interview, um, and you can tell, like, bit by bit that Nonamura likes being around her. Anyhow, they both end up going to Sonika's place, um, oh, sorry, to a place where, like, a lot of suicides happen, um, and this puts them on red alert. They both believe Sonika is going to commit suicide, and for a second, Haruta does think that this might be like the scoop of the century and his journalistic instincts kick in. But after looking at how determined Miyashita looks, he thinks otherwise. I think he likes Miyashita. Um, there's like little hints here and there. Um, she already has that kind of pull on him already. And he does also mention at one point that he forgets about his goal and he just ends up enjoying being around her. Anyhow, um, they're both freaking out, and eventually they go um, up a bunch of stairs to get her, and they hope they're not too late, and what they see before them is Sonoko with a guy named Kazuo, and they're just embracing and kissing each other. I mean, we've already talked about this, and turns out they just wanted to get some privacy. Um, turns out Nonomura actually knows who this guy is, um, he, so Nonomura is older than him, but they were in like a similar photography class or something, I can't fully remember, but Kazuo is glad that 
Nonomura didn't give up on his passion, his passion for finding ghosts and phantoms. He's still doing it. That was the reason、um, why, on the side, he was trying to find like Tosuke and the mysteries surrounding that. It was that pull into ghost-like things and phantoms. And、um, Miyashita looks at him like, "Oh, really?"、Um, and I thought this was pretty telling as far as Miyashita's character is concerned. Like, it actually stood out to me because I think Miyashita is jealous slash interested in people who have goals. Finding a goal can be really difficult. Like having something concrete that you're moving towards, especially if you can't see where you should be putting your effort or energy towards. So I resonate a lot with Miyashita's expressions. Like if you can't see yourself clearly, your strengths and what you like, they won't be like readily apparent to you. It would be like trying to grasp a cloud. You just can't do it. You can't make it concrete. And I think this idea of making things concrete is a pretty big. Part of、um, this novel, whether it's emotions, memories, identity.、Um, in this case, it seems to be more focusing on identity.、Uh, on identity, like how do I make who I am specific and concrete, rather than something vague.、Um, and yeah, I think、um, same with like Takeda. Like he has a goal that he's kind of pursuing, and Miyashita doesn't. And、um, I think that actually invites some sort of、um, perhaps jealousy, but also some sort of、um, interest. Uh, going towards him as well, because it's just not something she has.、Um, now, anyways, when Miyashita and Nonomura arrive at Tosuke's building, we get a pretty huge reveal. So Nonomura, all this time, was a terminal, so one of Spooky E's brainwashed victims. And what made it easier for him was that Nonomura wanted to chase phantoms anyway, so there wasn't much brainwashing to be done to push him in the direction of Tosuke. Um, he just need. It's just like once he gets in the building, he goes on attack mode, and Boogie Pop confirms that Spooky's dead. I mean, we already knew that, and we find out that Nonomura is known as the Seeker.、Um, now the fight was pretty cool.、Um, it felt like a lot of fast movements, and but he always felt like Boogie Pop was in full control.、Um, and I also like how Boogie Pop gave like an exposition about himself. Like it's just cool to hear that. Like he's basically just talking about himself. You know, as like an entity, and、um, yeah, I don't know. It's just it's just kind of nice to hear. Anyway, like an explosion goes off, and then Nonomura finds himself laying down with Kirimanagi right next to him. He can't remember much, but a phrase from Yashita kind of sticks out to him. Basically, you're searching for something, and these ghosts are kind of a clue to help you find whatever that is, or whatever it is. This is what he remembers. I think this is really important, and I think this goes into the theme of searching. You know, this idea of searching for like your, for something, something enlivening, something about yourself.、Um, I think generally what the author is condemning is that people in general are constantly searching for themselves and their origin point. Seeking phantoms was just Haruto's, I mean,、uh, Nonomura's way of doing it, and Tosuke's way of doing it was through ice cream. And confectionery was the way Ray was trying to find herself, you know. And I think for Jin, it's still gonna. I think it's still gonna be art, maybe. Um, that could be his like the tool that he's using in order to find him, and in order to leave the mountain. Like we all have different ways that we try to find ourselves. Now I'm just going to talk about Boogie Pop、um, more in general. Um, so one of the first instances we see him is that he believes. 
uh, that the ice cream um that it, it it's going way too far into the heart and he gets very like theoretical and philosophical as about it as he does um he talks about like the driving force in how products are made and how they showcase to us and how we're always moving on to the next thing and that our products are made within they're basically made within the context of the century that we're in and the thing that drives it is the man i wish i had that drive and it's a pattern that we're kind of unconscious of um so he does kind of give some insight into like uh just just like our fundamental drivers now, some just like some little tidbits about Spooky E. Um, he gets introduced as Marco to Tosuke. I like the moment where um, Spooky E is surprised by Tosuke's ability because Spooky E has to like brainwash people, but Tosuke can actually see what their pain is. So he doesn't have to, like, he's still hitting on something real while Spooky E is literally like changing their structure. Um, anyway, Spooky puts something called Spunky into the ice cream, which makes people get addicted to it, addicted to it. And then ultimately, Tosuke's creation lost to drugs. Um, I think that is kind of reflective of what Boogie Pop was talking about, um, about the next new thing and how, you know, despite the fact that, um, you know, it's a, it's a creation from Tosuke, he's putting his blood, sweat and tears into it. Um, you know, the thing that, like, something as sim- simple as drugs can essentially be the thing that makes something skyrocket. Um, also, like, Notorious ICE was the name, was Tosuke's name, I guess, at least in the Toa organization. And um, Spooky E does feel some small similarity to Tosuke. He feels like he's in a similar situation. He says, guys like us, we have nowhere to go. Anyways, though, he doesn't really feel much sympathy for Tosuke's situation. He literally laughs at his face. Um, but that's that's really all we have with that. Now, I also want to talk about Captain Walker. Um, there's been this narrator throughout, and we find out it was Kageyama all this time. So that was a pretty big reveal at the time. And um, anyway, Kageyama was supposed to explode with his powers. He's part of the Toll organization, but he gets his like neck broken. So we presume he's dead. But then it's revealed at the end that he wasn't dead. So that was kind of confusing. Um, I don't really know what to say about that. Like it didn't... Yeah, I just don't know what to say about that. I also just want to talk about the structure of Act 2 or Part 2. I thought it was pretty interesting because each chapter starts off with some interesting interview between members of the ice cream company and then um, and other affiliates. And bit by bit, it's revealed what they think of Tosuke. And while we don't learn much that's new... There are like a few things that like stand out. Um, at the time of reading it, like you tend to be confused about Tosuke's relationship with Sonoko and his relationship with Rei, but you get more clarity that Tosuke's relationship with Rei was pretty intimate, even though we don't get to see too much of it. Like they had such good chemistry that some people thought that they were going to get married at some point. Um, it's an interesting way to create like a like closeness by hearing it from other people and us not actually seeing it. I'm honestly surprised that he, like, the author was able to make, like, such an emotional moment uh, at the end with um, Tosuke and Rei, despite us not really seeing them interact, like, like a lot, a lot. Like, we saw them interact, but not that much. Um, so, yeah, it was a very interesting way to kind of do that dynamic. Um, and, yeah, um, Tosuke also spends, like, a lot of time with Sonoko, um, which uh, which comes in handy. Um, or, like, we, we hear that he spent a lot of time with her. Um, so after so uh, after we hear from Sonoko that she says that she didn't, uh, we know that's not really true, like, off the bat. Like, we didn't even need Kazuo, like, her boyfriend, 
to reiterate that actually you did spend a lot of time with him. Um, like, so it's, it's a really cool way to kind of just give us tidbits of information so we can kind of piece together what's going on. Because at the start of Act 2, we don't actually know much about what's happening. And all throughout it, we're just kind of learning bits and pieces. Um, so yeah, I thought that was really cool. Now, anyhow, uh, this was my analysis and thoughts. And um, yeah, overall thoughts about this novel is that I really loved it. Um, I love the premise. I love the focus on ice cream, out of all things. Um, I really resonated with many, like many of the themes in this novel, like emotions and memories being uh, being concrete and getting in touch with those um, and being and those being like a vessel to know yourself and your origin point. Um, it's not just something fascinating, but something that I feel like um, like makes sense. Like if you like reflect back and then you get in touch with those emotions, um, it really does kind of originate from that. Um, so I just love these themes and I loved um, kind of reading about them and kind of piecing it together. Also, I liked how he tells people to not move away from their pain, to not move away from your emotions. I loved all the recurring characters that popped up. Um, I thought the relationship uh, between Ray and Tosuke was really good. Um, they were kind of like the emotional peak for the novel. Um, th them and also like just Tosuke's kind of development just in general as well and that final kind of moment about him kind of crying for the first time. Also, this like the structure of the novel was just fascinating. Like the first act was built up to the thank you event, um, but things also moved like really quickly. But also, they were just paced. It was just paced interestingly, and the second act was like we had like new protagonists all of a sudden with um, Miyashita and um, Nonomura, and then the third arc actually felt like an intimate character study on Tosuke. and um, all the th all the themes really come ahead in this act. I mean, it's not just like or like things were vague before and they come in like it becomes like an actual like debate like a lot of it's like Tosuke debating with Jin um, but it does actually form into something specific and something real um, so I thought that was really good now this is probably my favorite novel alongside the first novel with the um the Manticore like the first novel is very near and dear to my heart um, but yeah this novel it's definitely like either number two or number one I, I don't really know right now but yeah, I hope you guys like enjoyed it just as much as I did because I really, I really like this one. Now, I also want to say thank you to the Threats to the World team for translating Volume 7. I wouldn't be able to read it otherwise. Um, so yeah, I really, really appreciate that and really appreciate what you guys are doing. Um, and yeah, I'll be going on to Volume 8 next. So thanks for listening and um, I'll see you guys in the next one. Okay, thank you.